The Bible reading today is taken from John, chapter 5, and it's to be found on page 100, sorry, 1067, and it's verse 16, chapter 5, verse 16. And Jesus talks about the authority of the Son of God. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming that has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the God of the, of, sorry, of the Son of God, and those who will hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice. And come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, 
and those who have done evil, what is evil in my sight, will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. I'm back. And we are in God's word this morning. We're going to take a few moments to reflect and think on these words. Before we do that, let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we just pray that you might speak to us through it this morning. Amen. Amen. The Academy Awards are just around the corner, a month away. I'm sure you already knew that though. Everyone's counting the days, aren't they, till the Academy Awards? No, not really. Now, there is 3,000 invites that get sent out every year inviting people to come and attend, the rich and famous, those involved in the movie industry. I can guarantee you though that this time around, Mark Christensen will not be one of them. He's not going to get an invite. Now, I'm guessing you probably haven't heard of Oscar winner Mark Christensen before. It's probably because the Oscar he's holding there is a fake and Mark's actually just a big imposter. You see, on the night of the 2015 Academy Awards, Mark decided, you know, it would be a good idea to go and rent a tuxedo and make for myself a, a fake statue and hire an entourage to come and follow me around and just see how much I can get away with posing as an Oscar winner. <laughs> He began his little experiment getting hugs and photos and high fives from just random people that he passed on the street. He then managed to con uh, cinema into letting him watch for free the movie that he was claiming to have won his fake award for. He then even scored some free stuff from a convenience store after he claimed that he'd left his wallet at the awards venue. Not a bad start. But what about making it into the actual awards area itself. Here's what happened. I think there should be sound. Bartender of chips and salsa, empanada like appetizers. I have two glasses of free bourbon. No, I'm gonna be in trouble if I do. But all right. How much do I? Thank you. <laughs> I forgot my ID. I can go in. Thanks, man. How good's that guy? Dude, you got an Oscar. That's your ID. <laughs> Whoops. At the end of the night, Mark uh, visited the valet service, claimed to have misplaced his ticket, and they gave him a BMW to drive away in. <laughs> I kid you not. Don't worry, he ended up returning it and coming clean. But it's crazy though, isn't it? What this imposter manages to get away with just by wearing a suit and carrying around a fake trophy. Mark Christensen was an imposter who did not belong. He went where he wasn't allowed. He claimed to be someone that he wasn't. He was a fake, a phony. 
as we move to the next part of John's gospel today, the Jewish leaders are absolutely convinced that Jesus is an imposter, that he'd been doing things he shouldn't be doing, that he'd been claiming things he wasn't allowed to claim. And so these leaders decide to put an end to it. If you're with us last week, we saw Jesus perform a Sabbath healing beside the pool at Bethesda. We saw him miraculously make a lame man walk again. It was incredible. But it created a stir because he'd done it on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was the one day of the week when you weren't allowed to work. Last week, the spark was lit. This week, we see it break out into full flame as we see Jesus and the Jewish leaders, they come face to face. And just from the the first opening verses of our passage today, we can see it's pretty clear this is a showdown, right? It's a showdown. When they confront Jesus for breaking the Sabbath, what does he say? He doesn't apologize, does he? What does he do? Verse 17, he equates himself with God. (laughs) How's that for an answer? Jewish leaders, you know, they're not super keen on that response. Doesn't really cut it for them. And if Jesus wasn't on their radar before, he certainly is now. He certainly is now. John indicates that it's actually here at this point that the Jewish leaders, they come together, they decide this guy needs to be stopped. He actually needs to be killed. That's what they decide. To them, Jesus is a dangerous imposter. Claiming equality with God, it's the kind of statement that that moves someone from being just a, a kind roaming healer And it puts Jesus well and truly into raving lunatic territory to claim that you're God. You know, this guy must have been out in the sun too long. The problem is they can't ignore him because people are actually falling for it. You know, Jesus is starting to gather followers. So something's got to be done. And in these opening verses, we see the Jewish leadership, they use their authority to pass judgment against Jesus and they seek to take his life pretty serious. How might Jesus respond to that? You know, is he going to offer a cryptic reply like the time when he cleared the temple and he said to them, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it for you in three days. Is he going to say something like that? Or is he going to say something clever to try and confuse or catch them out? You know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. No, he doesn't. Instead of wiggling around the accusation, instead of trying to put the fire out, what does Jesus do? He tips petrol on it. (laughs) It's a weird image, isn't it? Jesus tipping petrol on a fire. But in the face of their indignation and their outrage, Jesus doesn't back down, doesn't dial it back a notch. He takes them head on. And for the next 12 verses, he really unloads. Now, we can break down his reply into a few parts. Each part begins with the phrase, very truly, I tell you. Very truly, I tell you. In the original Greek, it just says, amen, amen, which translates as truly, truly. And when a speaker used the phrase, truly, truly, it was was kind of like them picking up a megaphone and saying, oi, everyone, God will listen to this next bit. You really need to hear what I'm about to say. It's really, really, really true. Truly, truly. I wonder if you spotted them in the passage as we went through. There's, there's three. First one's in verse 19, then we get one in verse 24, and then we get one in verse 25. And it divides Jesus' response to the Jewish leaders up into three sections, into three chunks. 
So, what does Jesus say in the first one? It's so funny. The Jewish leaders had come to Jesus and confronted him, and in doing so, that that brought the full weight of their authority to bear against him. And so in the face of their authority, what does Jesus do? He begins by establishing his own authority. All right, okay, so you think you've got authority? Well, let me tell you something about the one who's been given ultimate authority, me. Reminds me a little bit of a show I used to watch called uh, Undercover Boss. You might've heard of it. It's a reality TV show from the US and they take a, a CEO of this like multinational corporation, they dress them in disguise to a differing effect, and they put them to work alongside their low-level employees. Now, the fun in watching the show is, is, is to see these rich and powerful executives kind of floundering about completely out of their depth in their own, comf- in their own company, right? And there always comes a point, though, towards the end of the show, when their true identity is finally revealed. The wig comes off, they take the uniform off, and the CEO reveals who they truly are. It's the boss, right? The one who has ultimate authority over the company. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's uncovering his true identity. He's establishing his ultimate authority, and he does all this by revealing his relationship with the Father. Now, it would be pretty easy for us to get bogged down diving into a complex subject like the Trinity. I'm going to spare you that, but there are some important details I think we need to notice about Jesus' relationship with the Father. That looks complicated already, doesn't it? (laughs) But it's not. Simply put, God is one, but within the Godhead, there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each of those persons is equally fully God. And yet, each of those persons is also distinct and different from each other. Which is exactly what Jesus says in verse 19, when he says, The Son can do nothing by himself. The Son depends on the Father's will rather than on his own will. He depends on doing what he sees the Father doing. It's important to note that even though though the Son is dependent upon and obedient to the Father, it actually doesn't make him any less than the Father. They're equal. We see that again at the end of verse 19, where Jesus says, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. You think about it, well, only one who who was as great as the Father could possibly do everything that the Father does. Surely. And so we see that the the Father and the Son are inseparable. It's all throughout this first part. Just as the Father gives life, so too does the Son give life, verse 21. When the Son judges, it's only because the Father has entrusted Him with that task, verse 22. Just as the Father deserves honor, so too does the Son deserve honor, verse 23. In a nutshell, here's what Jesus is saying. I am so utterly bound to my Father's will that anything I do, any decision that I make, it is as if the Father himself had done it. That's what he's saying. And it's it's pretty big. It's huge. It's huge exactly because he's saying it to a bunch of guys who are coming for his head. (laughs) 
You come at me, Jesus says, you're coming at the Father. You judge my actions, you know what you're doing? You're judging the Father's actions. Here you are fretting about the breaking of your precious Sabbath laws. Well, guess what? The Sabbath was my idea. At this point in John's gospel, Jesus is dropping the disguise. He's taken off the wig, he's taken off the uniform, and he's unveiling his ultimate authority. You see, Jesus had been born to a pretty, pretty normal set of parents in a pretty backwater part of Israel. He'd spent the vast majority of his life beside his old man swinging a hammer. You know, he was the carpenter from Nazareth. So to the Jewish leaders, Jesus totally looked like a low-level employee, right? And yet in this opening section of his response, Jesus reveals that he is far more than any of that. Turns out, Jesus is the CEO of the universe. He's the boss, the one who holds ultimate authority. Can you imagine what it would have been like to, to be there and to see the reaction of the Jewish leaders as Jesus says this to them? Like that would make for some gripping reality TV, right? I'm sure it would. Now, the Jewish leaders weren't simply bringing their authority to bear on Jesus, but they were doing it for a reason. They were doing it in order to pass judgment on him. They were judging him. They decided he was guilty of breaking the Sabbath. He was guilty of blasphemy by claiming to be God. So in the face of their judgment, Jesus' third, very truly, issues a warning about his own ultimate judgment that he would one day bring. Back in verse 22, Jesus has already flagged the fact that judgment has been entrusted to him. That's his job. Here in the final part of his response, he unpacks for us what that means. The time is coming soon, Jesus says when all people will be called to account for their actions. At the sun's voice, graves will open, the dead will rise, and all will be judged. All will be judged. The Jewish leaders are there with their flimsy judgment against him. Jesus says, that ain't judgment. This is judgment. Ultimate judgment. The judgment of all things at the end of all time, and guess what? I'm the judge. I'm the judge. You know, Jesus doesn't mince words. There's no wiggle room in what he's saying here. This coming judgment, it's inescapable. Inescapable. Those who died will rise to be judged. Those who are still alive will also be judged. No matter who you are, no matter who you were, Everyone will be called to account for their actions, Jesus says. Which is interesting to hear in this day and age, I think. In this day and age where we've kind of moved towards moral relativism, haven't we? Where the keys to what's right and what's wrong have been passed to us, to the individuals. We get to follow our own moral compass. And mine might be slightly different to yours, or maybe a lot different to yours, but that's okay, because I'm my own person, as are you. We're all unique individuals. In this climate of, of working it out yourself, topics like ultimate judgment, or there being an absolute right or an absolute wrong, none of it really has a place anymore. It sounds kind of foreign 
I think. Because today the question is, well, who are you to tell me how to live? Who are you to tell me how to live? But I think it's kind of funny, actually, because we, we might not believe in judgment anymore. We might not believe in sin. And yet, and yet we still have a suspicion that there's something wrong with us, I think. A profound, inescapable sense that if we were to be examined, I likely wouldn't measure up. That feeling, I think, is a cause of lots of our stress and anxiety. It compels us to hide our true selves, doesn't it? Or control what other people know about us. I wonder if you've ever felt yourself doing that before. I know I have. We question our worth. We wonder whether we're lovable, whether we're valuable. And we're honestly not sure. So we we end up spending so much of our time, so much of our energy, so much of our effort trying to reassure ourselves about that, trying to somehow prove to ourselves and to our others that we are. I think that anxiety actually hints to the fact that there is some kind of right way to be, that there might just be some fixed universal standard After all, if we do indeed get to determine our own morality, our own rights and our own wrongs, then ultimately our actions don't matter. They might matter to you, to the individual, but they have no meaning outside of yourself. Jesus says that our actions actually do matter. The decisions we make, the way we treat ourselves, the way we treat others, and most importantly, the way we regard the Son It all matters, Jesus says. It's all consequential. There is a right way to go about this life. And on that final day, when the son's voice resounds and his ultimate judgment arrives, we're all going to be called to account for our actions. Some will rise to life. Others will rise to condemnation. The question is, what's the difference between the two? I take it that's a pretty important question, isn't it? If ultimate judgment does exist. The answer is there in verse 29. Jesus says, the difference will be what people have done. Good or evil. Great. But what what is good? What is evil? Well, the answer to that question can be found smack bang in the middle of the whole thing. The middle of the whole thing. If you are observant, you might have noticed that we skipped over the second very truly. If you didn't notice, maybe you weren't paying attention. This next bit is important, so maybe tune back in. Because this verse, verse 24, really holds the key to the entire passage, to Jesus' entire response. You see, nestled in there between Jesus' ultimate authority And Jesus' ultimate judgment is really what Jesus is trying to get at. While the other two parts have described who the Son is and what the Son will come to do, this part in the middle, it concerns us and our response. In light of the Son's authority, in light of His coming judgment, we arrive now at the 
So what? And it's right here, plain as day, in verse 24. Therefore, hear my words and believe. Hear my words and believe. How we respond to the Son, what we do with His words, that's the difference between good and evil. That's the difference between judgment and acquittal. That's the difference between life and death. That's what matters more than anything else. How you respond to the Son and what you do with His words. And Jesus says this to a group of men who had summarily rejected His claims, who had condemned His actions, and who were making plans to put Him to death. He says, no, you've got to hear my words and believe. It's right here in the shadow of their death threats coming against him that we actually see the glory of the sun in all of its brilliance. You see, as the Jewish leaders were there seeking to take life, we see here in verse 24, the sun's intention is to bring life. They were seeking to take it. Jesus says, I'm here to bring it. What a glorious contrast that is. How we respond to the Son, what we do with His words, that's the ultimate response. Because actually, there is no consideration that's more important. There's no decision that is more pressing, no relationship that's more vital. No matter what else you might have done with your life, no matter how successful you might have been, no matter how well you think you might have prepared, no matter how straight you think you've got everything lined up in your life, if you haven't sorted out your response to the Son, you actually have yet to sort out anything. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. In my capacity as a youth minister, I often find... Uh, I'm having to ask those kind of get-to-know-you questions quite a lot, like if I'm interviewing someone up on stage like I was before or whatnot. You know the kind of questions I'm talking about, right? Like, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Or if you found a million dollars, what would you spend it on? You know, the big questions in life. Probably the most classic of all these types of questions is if you were stuck on a deserted island and you could only take one thing what one thing would you choose to take? Now, in all my time of asking that question and hearing answers, I've never actually heard the right answer. I think there is only one right answer, and it's this. I would take Bear grills. <laughs> Bear grills. If you're not familiar with the man, um, he's pretty impressive. He's a survival expert. Used to be a SAS trooper for the British Army. And he's famous now for a show called Man versus Wild. Man versus Wild drops him in some remote place, kind of unforgiving environment, and the camera crew follow him around as he kind of teaches you what you have to do in order to survive if you ever find yourself stuck in Antarctica or whatever. And, you know, things like drinking snake's blood or climbing inside a carcass of a moose in order to stay warm. <laughs> I wouldn't think to do that, you know? Now, if you had this expert on the island with me, I would... I think I'd be, be set, right? I think we'd all be set. I would have every confidence that he would get me through. 
as we read Jesus' words this morning, as he reveals his ultimate authority, is that not a cause for us to have every confidence as well? Jesus is the expert, right? He knows how to navigate this place because he made it. That's why we listen to his words. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what it's like for us to live here because he had to navigate life here himself. His power is ultimate. His wisdom is beyond our comprehension and his love is fierce. Just two weeks ago, right, we heard in the book of Romans those wonderful words, God is for you. He is for us. So who can stand against us? Better than Bear grills. Better than Bear grills. Having the sun by my side actually gives me the confidence that I'm going to make it through. I'm going to get there in the end. No matter what I have to face. Because there is no opposition that he will not prevail against. Have confidence. Not in myself, but in him. In the one who truly has the ultimate authority. You know, we can have confidence as well in the life, in the salvation that's talked about there in verse 24. It's amazing. Whoever hears his word and believes, Jesus said. Whoever hears his word. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how far you might have strayed. It doesn't matter what your history with the church might be. Jesus says, whoever you are, if you hear his word and believe in your heart, your future is secured. Your place in God's family is assured. And this very day, you can know for sure that you've crossed over from death to life. Notice there, it's in the present tense. You have crossed over from death to life. That's incredible. And it really leaves us with a final question. Have you heard? Have you heard? Very truly, I tell you. comes three times in this passage. (laughs) Really could be a heading for this whole section because it's all about hearing and accepting what the Son is saying. Have you heard? Have you heard His words? The truth is there, there are no words that are more important than His. There are no words that are more powerful than His. If you were here with us last week, we just saw those words had the power to heal a man who had been lame for almost 40 years, and with a word, he's up and walking again. In our passage today, we see these are words that are one day going to open graves and raise the dead to life. These are words that hold the key to our eternity. So they're the most important words that there are. They're the very words of God himself, and they're spoken with power and with purpose and with authority. Very truly, I tell you, he is calling us to listen to him this morning. And to pay attention. And so I ask, have you heard? Do you listen? Like if you were to think about your week, just this past week, and take a look at it, an honest look at it, and think, do you live a life that listens to the sun? How can you tell? I'm not at all denying that it's hard. It's hard to listen, especially in a world like ours, right? This is, it's so noisy, (laughs) There's so much noise. Uh, To me, it seems like it's only getting noisier, but maybe it says more about my age. Maybe I'm getting on in years. A few years ago, I was on a mission trip to India. And one of our last days, uh, we got to visit a bazaar in Hyderabad. It looked like that 
One of the things I'll never forget is the noise. The noise, you can't imagine it, right? There's, there's music, there's drumming, there's wild, not wild, but there's animals, you know, in the marketplace, there's street vendors, car horns. Every time you get within 20 meters of the next little stall, the vendor will come out and, and call out to you and try to get your attention, try to bring you over to buy something. Like, it's, it's, it's chaos. It's so crazy that um, we had to get a guide to lead us through, a local, a local person who, who led us through and showed us all the spots. And it was all you could do to stick with the guide, right? Because it was, it was so noisy, there was so many voices and the crowd, and it just threatened to pull you every which way. You know, you had to, you had to keep focused on the one who was leading you through, on the one that we were following through the crowd, and, and we had to focus on the words he was saying, the instructions he was giving amidst all the chaos and commotion. I think that's a little bit like what it's, what it's like for us as we try to listen to God's word in a noisy world. There's so many voices calling out at us, competing for our attention, so much background sound that, that really threatens to drown out his words. Ask yourself this this morning. Whose voice holds sway over your heart, over your decisions, over the direction of your life? As we've heard today, there is but one voice that deserves that honor. For there is only one voice that can pierce through the darkness. There is only one voice that can bring death to life. Unlike our phony Oscar winner, Mark Christensen, Jesus is no imposter. He's the real deal, isn't he? And there is nothing more important than for us to give him our full attention. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for sending him to us in all his authority and with all the judgment he will one day bring to bear on our, on our world. We thank you for these words, Lord, that whoever hears his word, whoever believes you who sent him has eternal life, will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Sweet words, Father, we pray that they might ring in our hearts and our minds as we go out this week. We pray, Lord, that we would be people who pay attention and listen. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.